I'm sorry. It's hard not to giggle at some of the things I've heard. Um, well, right. I mean, I have kids in my room every day. I have always worked with kids at lunch, uh, that one-on-one time or, you know, that extra, you know, half an hour of helping a kid out is, is wonderful, right? It's what the kids need. And it's sometimes kids need a sanctuary. Sometimes kids need extra time, but we would never in any, any, thing that any Clovis teacher signed, I would say, or, or tried to put forth or contract or bargain for, would keep teachers away from kids, right? Hello again, this is Jason Roach, and welcome to this episode of the ACE Pod, a production of ACE, the Association of Clovis Educators. It is our firm belief that it is our job to demystify unions, to dispel the myths that abound and to explain precisely what it means to build an effective organization of which all Clovis educators will be proud. By no means will this episode serve as an exhaustive primer on all things union. But with my guest, we will work to refute some of the most common misconceptions. And we will lay the foundation for what we believe will be an effective and principled union that will work with our administrative partners to make this district the best place in the nation for all students and all educators to educate and to learn. With that, I want to welcome to the show our resident MythBuster and Clovis Unified veteran, Melissa Ferdinandson. Melissa, welcome to the Ace Pod. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me today. I'm pretty excited to be a part of uh, this program. Of course. Yeah. All right. So let's just start with uh, your Clovis Unified journey. Where do you teach? How long have you taught? That sort of thing. Awesome. Well, I um, came to Clovis in 92. So uh, been around for quite a while. It's my 29th year. I'm excited to hit that 30 year mark next year. Um, I came from the Bay Area and taught, did my student teaching actually in the Bay Area first, uh, came to Clovis Unified as thinking I was going to get a job as an English teacher, and I had two credentials, and they didn't really have the room, so I ended up um, starting in the junior high at Kasner and PE and stayed there for 19 years, and then um, just really missed the academic aspects and and the the English program and books and reading and writing. And I, and I transitioned over to Clovis North about 12 years ago and have just really enjoyed the process being in this, in those two different functions. You know, it's kind of fun working in two different departments and at two different, uh, completely different schools, grade levels. Um, it's been really fun to be a part of that, that program. This uh, kind of experience of doing this podcast has been interesting because I've learned so much about, about people that I didn't know. So you were a PE teacher. I was for 19 years. I went from wow. English in the Bay Area to PE for 19 years and then back into the English. And uh, you still coach, right? I do. I've been coaching all 30 years um, at the junior high. Gosh, I did um, volleyball, softball, and gymnastics, boys and girls volleyball, always. Um, and then at the at the high school, um, always boys and girls volleyball, both seasons. I've helped out with the junior high and the high school programs. And then I've been working. It's really fun uh, as a liaison to the sixth grade team. So I've been going out to visit elementaries and meeting all those little eager sixth graders and getting them pumped up for Bronco volleyball. So that's been a hoot. That's very cool. So were you at Clovis North when it first opened? No, I was not. I came a few years after. 
All right. So, you know, just talk a little bit about uh, what you love about working at Clovis North. Oh my goodness. Um, when I, when I first transferred over there, I just kept telling everybody, this is Disneyland. Like this is the greatest place. The people, the, the colleagues there are just so top notch. Um, the, you know, some of those OGs over there, like Dre Castro and Lisa Bennett and, um, just the department in the English department, uh, I think they were a little leery at first having having a newbie who was coming from PE, like, what's she going to know about English, you know? And uh, I had to kind of earn my stripes. And once they realized that I had something to offer, it just, everything solidified there. My my friendships with my colleagues are are real and they're empowering. And our PLC process is invigorating. I I adore the people that are on that campus and in every department, we just have a cool group of, of people. Um, but also, you know, I love my students. I think we've got such great kids. We have high expectations. We have great success, but I, I love the relationships that I make with kids. I think it's pretty unique that we're seven through 12. You know, I get to do that in a capacity that a lot of other people might not have the opportunity where I'm, I'm with them, you know, I see them as sixth graders and then seventh graders. I'm helping with the volleyball program. And then I get them as an English kid in ninth grade, you know, and it just, um, I, I even teach ingenuity too. So I have 10th, 11th and 12th graders in that. I have regular, I have honors. I get the whole spectrum of kids and I, I love them all. I love working with my kids. I love seeing them every day. I mean, when I drive into campus, I get this huge smile on my face and I I can't wait for the next lesson or the next book that we're reading or their next essay. Um, I don't know. It just really feeds my soul. Yeah. Amen to that. Right. That right. Um, this is, you know, kind of, we enjoy, we enjoy our kids, right. They, you know, it's not that we just go there because we love English. Um, and right. it's not that we're just there to kind of, you know, kind of educate them. They, they give back to us, right. They make us, they make us happier, more fulfilled human beings, which I think is a nice um, kind of transition. Now, this wasn't, you know, kind of the the first one that was on my list, but I think this is a nice segue. So we're going to talk about kind of some of those, you know, myths that kind of are out there about unions um, and, you know, kind of are, are, you know, widely believed by folks. And I think the first one, just based on that conversation that we should talk about, is that unions only, you know, kind of care about salary and, and teachers and in the process, forget about kids. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I kind of don't understand that one. Honestly, Jason, I think that what educator gets into education, not for the kids like that, the kids are always going to be on the forefront of any decision we make. I don't think any educator is anti-kid, right? Um, so, and I think the beauty of what we're doing here is that we're Clovis Unified teachers who have, you know, a lot of us been in this district a long time and, and some new ones, but we we value certain things in Clovis and we have those high expectations and we we want to do what's best for our kids always. And so I think since those are the values we hold and we're the ones that are creating this union, we get that opportunity to do it that our way and, and our way is always about kids. Yeah. And it, it strikes me, right. That kind of underlying that myth is that somehow the interests of teachers and, or the interests of educators 
is at odds with the interest of, of kids, right? Which is just, you know, simply not true. I know that, um, you know, Dr. O'Farrell, one of her kind of favorite sayings is like, happy people are productive people. And, right. you know, so kind of more satisfied teachers, more empowered teachers, teachers with agency, psychologists, you know, counselors um, are better prepared to, to serve students in a better way. And, you know, like smaller class sizes, right, is something that, you know, we would all love to have as, as classroom teachers. That obviously- all, right. all, all the way from elementary to high school, I think everyone would appreciate having that smaller class size. And I think in the situation that we're in, we've noticed that uh, one of my classes was reduced to about 22 just because of this situation. And I went to my learning director and said, wow, you know, I can't even tell you what a difference it's made just to be able to get to know those kids even more on a deeper level and have more time to work with them individually. Um, Wow, what a difference that made. I know we'll never get to 22, but boy, has it been fun being able to work with a reasonable number. And then when it comes time to the grading, you know, when you've got a caseload of 175 or 170 or so, and, and those essays are coming in, it's a, uh, it's a load. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. And I've had the exact same experience right now. I have, you know, in my AP classes, I am on ground in person. I have 15 students and I've noticed the exact same thing, right? They each get more attention. They each get, you know, the chance to kind of, uh, you know, speak in class every single day. Um, and then, yeah, right. And then, then <laughs> it took a pandemic to get me down to a reasonable um, kind of class load where I could actually respond with meaningful feedback to students um, in a timely manner. So all those things, right, are good yeah. for teachers and quite clearly better for students, right? So the, I guess the the ultimate kind of idea there is that our interests are not at odds. So, okay, so next next myth, unions will destroy the Clovis way of life. Hmm. Uh, that one's an interesting one too. Uh, the union is us and we are the Clovis way of life. So that's not gonna change, you know? Um, I don't, I don't understand that. I think a lot of people have that myth that it's this third party, right? That's going to come in and infiltrate the system. And, uh, we're the ones that are going to be running the meetings. We're the ones that are going to bring, bringing concerns to the table and trying to make, you know, positive progress for our, our colleagues and our students. And so I, I don't really see that happening. My husband works with um, central. And I know you've been in a union before too, as well, Jason, and CTA is not really a presence in those meetings, hardly ever, correct? Yeah. I mean, I'm in, when I was in Fresno Unified, you know, kind of on our site meetings or kind of district level union meetings, there were, there was never someone from CTA involved. Yeah. It's all, it's all our Clovis teachers. And since we are Clovis, I think that it will continue to be the Clovis way of life. I don't see it doing anything else and we would not let it. Right. That's our value. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're building the organization. And um, as you said, we're, we are Clovis, we're Clovis teachers. Most of us are Clovis residents. Right. And, you know, many of us have been Clovis since birth, right. Born here, gone to school here, 
know, right. family's gotten family went to school here and taught here. So um, we are close. And then, you know, just the note, go ahead, Melissa, sorry. Well, to add to that, you know, I mean, if you say unions will destroy the Clovis way of life, has it destroyed our police department, our fire departments, right? They have unions. I wouldn't say it's destroyed their Clovis way of life either. And why would that be any different in education? Right. And you know, we don't have to look very far to find a union, right? We have a union right. Clovis unified already. Like our, you know, much of our classified staff uh, belongs to a, a union shop. And so, um, unions are, are not kind of this, uh, they are part of, of cl- the Clovis way of life. And then, you know, you mentioned fire department, police department are kind of classified, uh, many of our classified staff. And then just throughout the Clovis community, there are, there are several union shops. So, you know, that idea that unions aren't part of Clovis is, is just false, right? It's just a false right. narrative. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think, uh, you know, you that next myth was right. Unions will control us, but you've got the kind of state union or the national unions, but you've already kind of covered that a little bit, right? This is a union that's controlled by who? Us. Yeah. The Clovis teachers who care about our colleagues and our kids and just having a more professional, uh, you know, relationship with our administration. That is, I, I just like to feel valued. I'd like to not just, be heard and tapped on the head and sent off, but to have, you know, a really valued presence in that decision-making process. Yeah. I mean, being heard and I mean, being listened to, or, you know, being able to voice my opinion is one thing, but being able to voice my opinion and then have a reasonable expectation that that opinion will matter. Right. Right. And, you know, kind of, uh, unionization will will help with that. All right, now, um, but we will have to pay dues, and <laughs> those dues are outrageously expensive, and they could be as much as a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I heard there were some people spreading that rumor. Um, I, I, as an English teacher, and I think you know, Jason, it's very important that we. Um, do our research and and vet our sources and make sure that we're getting accurate information. There there are so I think that's good that you're doing a myth busting episode because there are so many myths out there. But actually, I think we've done our research and Fresno Unified locally has the most expensive. It's only 127 dollars a month, um, and that's only over the 10 month period that they um, put into those dues. Uh, that's about 1300 dollars a year. Uh, but actually, you know, when you think about the fact that they're making 10 to $15,000 more a year than we are, and that contributes to their retirement, I think a lot of people forget that retirement component, right? Yeah, definitely. And as I'm, I'm getting older and I'm heading toward that and my husband's getting closer to his retirement, he's done so much research about that. Um, you know, that makes a huge difference in your retirement and it more than covers the dues, more than covers that. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, what about kind of your dues going to kind of maybe political donations that maybe you, you, your worldview doesn't align with? Right. Um, You know, I know that like with my husband, he said, sometimes they might support a candidate that I don't support, but I also have a vote in the world and I get to make a vote and I just don't vote for that person 
Or you can actually, there's a box that you can check that I've recently found out where it says, you know, don't donate my money to um, CTA's statewide political action committee. And you can, you can opt out of just that portion. Um, I, I believe that um, Central might even have an option where you can, instead of donating to the to the political component, you can donate to other charities and other organizations. And I think that's a really good option. And, and it's important for people to know that, that they can even opt out of just that component or they could support it, but they really do uh, support education, right? It's CTA and then NEA support education. And so those are the candidates that they would probably back. Um, but again, if you don't agree with that, then you just opt out of that portion. Yeah, it's a nice kind of democratic feature, right? That you can choose to be a part of the union and uh, choose to have kind of uh, meaningful representation in your school district, but you can also choose to not, you know, kind of donate in ways that you don't want to donate. All right, now, next next myth here. Um, we won't be able to work with kids at lunchtime. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's hard not to giggle at some of the things I've heard. Um, well, right. I mean, I have kids in my room every day. I have always worked with kids at lunch, uh, that one-on-one -on -one time or, you know, that extra, you know, half an hour of helping a kid out is, is wonderful, right? It's what the kids need. And it's sometimes kids need a sanctuary. Sometimes kids need extra time, but we would never in any, any, Thing that any Clovis teacher signed, I would say, or, or tried to put forth or contract or bargain for would keep teachers away from kids, right? We might say, let's say we uh, bargain for a duty-free lunch. Um, that's just to protect our lunchtime, but it would never say that you cannot work with kids. You cannot go to meetings. You cannot. You just have the option for that, right? Um, and so I think that's really important. We're always going to keep kids in the forefront of our decision making. So I, I think, you know, even to say, oh, we ha you have to leave at 315. That's it's our union. We Clovis people would never let that happen. That's not something that we would put forth in our contract. It's not our belief. Our belief is to support kids always. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, who's the person that's going to be walking around on school sites like telling you at 315 hey melissa it's you know you go home get out of here like yeah so i mean yeah. i don't want to make light of this kind of because it is a you know pervasive idea right that that you you know unions kind of really kind of control these sorts of you can't work on the weekends right. um, but it's just not true right and um it's not based in reality it's not it wasn't based in my experience at fresno unified i'm sure that's not your husband's experience and in Central not at Florida. all yeah and it's definitely not something you know again we are the we are the association of clovis educators we would never kind of create a union with that sort of structure i don't know if there is if, right. if there is a union anywhere and, that would create that sort of structure yeah go ahead sure well jason there's people right now you know when the bell rings they're flying out of there at three o'clock yeah. and there's people who stay and keep working until 5 30 6 7 if they need to and um those people are i'm still going to be that person that stays till five or yeah. coaches till yeah. six or seven that's not going to change because of a union that's not something that would change right um, okay. And, uh, this is a really common one that unions protect bad teachers. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, Jason, I have to go back to, we only hire the best, right? So who are these bad teachers and what exactly is a bad teacher, right? Uh, I'm curious about that argument, but if we only hire the best, um, you know, that the union has nothing to do with that hiring. (laughs) So the union doesn't hire the teachers that's up to, you know, the district to hire and we do hire the best. And and I feel pretty strongly about my staff, and I'm sure you feel the same way. We've got some pretty quality teachers out there. Um, so I, I, my, I might turn it around and ask you, what's what's happening to those bad teachers that we have right now, right? Like, what's the protocol to get them to help them improve their craft? I know we have BITSA for, like, intro teachers, but, um, you know, it's really the responsibility of the administration, I would think, to identify who those struggling or bad, I would call them struggling teachers really maybe, right? Um, and, and it's up to administration to help them improve and, and, and find better support programs for those struggling teachers. And I think that would be something I'd love to bring to our union is how do we support teachers better who maybe aren't in that bits of program to have that support system, but find other support systems and other um, trainings that they can go to, right? I think that's a great thing about CTA is that they help us bring in quality trainings for our teachers. And there are actually funds going back to the question about funds, right? Part of our funds that we're contributing uh, to in our fees is to send teachers to quality trainings. And we haven't been able to do that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, right now, right. It, it, in our non-union district, you know, if you have permanent status, you know, there is a process, right? So after two years, you get tenure or permanent status and there's a process, it's due process um, that administration has to follow in order to kind of, you know, kind of, if we had to, if it had to escalate to dismissal, right? That process won't change, right? The union would just kind of protect that fair process. Um, so, you know, kind of the misnomer, right, is unions protect bad teachers. No, uh, unions protect a fair process. Um, and That's a great way of putting our, it. our union would not stand in the way of a fair process that dismissed a teacher that kind of deserved dismissal, right? So Correct. If, if that process was followed, then, um, the, then we're not going to stand in the way. All right. Now. Right. So. Faculty Senate can function like a union? Well, you know, that honestly is a tactic. (laughs) Maybe I would say that um, to, you know, to have a faculty Senate, to have committees is really um, a method to make people feel like they're part of the process. But um, it, you know, they just lack that authority to to go into a binding contract, which is what we're really looking for, right? A, a seat at that table to make um, a legally binding agreement. Um, I, I've been a part of that uh, faculty senate for a little while now, and I really had high hopes coming into it that I could make a difference and represent my, my colleagues uh, and my fellow educators as best I could to to make positive progress in the district. And as I went through that process, I really realized uh, we're just kind of taking notes about things. They're giving us information and we're passing information along. I didn't feel like, I felt like a middleman, right? I didn't feel like 
I was, um, I just wasn't a part of the decision-making at all, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. So we have totally limited in its scope as well. Right. So it's just, uh, you know, classroom teachers doesn't represent kind of beyond kind of teachers and right. And also it's curious, right. That it, it kind of, it, you know, one thing that we talk a lot about is right. A democratic process, a small D democratic process where, right. Uh, and it really seems like particularly the executive board, right. Is not elected um, democratically, right. It's just the kind of the senators themselves that vote on that. Yes. I've had a lot of teachers say, how come we don't get to vote yeah. on who represents us at the, at the executive board level? I've had a lot of people question that even in the last, you know, this most recent election. Yeah. All right. Okay. So this is our uh, last myth of, of the day. It's, uh, you know, all about the money. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It's all about the money. Um, I think that we've already had enough conversations about kids and, and other things. Um, I, I do, you know, that's definitely a concern once I've looked into some of the information that has been provided to us. That's, you know, it's, it's public, right? The information out there is it's um, we, you just have to know how to have access to it. And I've had friends on the EBC and the ECC that have said, well, they're not showing us actual comps. Uh, they don't, they're not as transparent. I think, I think the thing I've been talking about with friends is just because you say you're not, you're transparent doesn't mean you are transparent. And so a lot of people um, don't have some of that financial information. Um, it's important to know that there are a lot of things that we bargain for. Yes. Um, you know, salary benefits, but also classroom environment. And I think that is a critical component that people need to realize that um, we will be, we will be bargaining for that. But yes, you know what, my retirement does matter to me to find out how, how really low we are on that totem pole of salary in comparison to schools that are just like us and get as much money as us. Um, I, I, let me ask you this, Jason, in what industry do the, do the best, right? We hire the best. In what industry do the best get paid the worst or even middle of the road? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it, you mentioned, um, you know, a key word, right? Transparency, you know, we're kind of not privy to the books, right? And, you know, right. it is public, right? Like you can find it. You just, you know, it's kind of buried. You got to know how to find it. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting, right, that somehow we're mitigating salary like it doesn't matter of course it it matters of course our compensation it matters but it doesn't mean that that's what unionizing is about and because we'll Correct. be we'll be part of a democratic process you know the membership will will um set our priorities and if our sure. priorities are you know if salary is way down the list of priorities then you know that's something you know kind of that we leave alone or, you know, and I think one of the other things is right. Sacrifice, right. You, we all know, like this is known that the Clovis unified salary schedule for, for teachers um, is it's lower than, than our peers in the County. And then as you kind of alluded to, it's when you look at like district and like district means they're funded in 
you know, kind of at the same funding level and then similar in size. So uh, Correct. A, district, a district like Poway, right? Um, right. Has this kind of extraordinary reputation uh, as an incredible California public school. Um, and, you know, when you do those sorts of comps, they get the uh, same kind of funding level as we do. You know, we're, we're behind that. And um, if that's what we say, we say we're okay with that. And that's because we sacrifice for, you know, things like facilities or so that we can pay for kind of performing arts and that sort of thing. Then, you know, that's a conversation worth having. Um, but it's also a conversation worth having. Are we, you know, is the kind of staff, the educators, are we the ones bearing the brunt of that sacrifice? Because our, as we're kind of the lowest paid, um, our, our kind of administrative colleagues uh, at site level and our district level uh, administrative colleagues, are they also uh, kind of in that? And, you know, the stuff we see, have seen seems to suggest that, you know, they're not sacrificing in the same ways that we are. So No, um, no, they're not. So it's not what drives us, but it would no. be it would it would be foolish to say that it's not part of the conversation, right? And um, right, and it's also something that I think is a mandatory bargaining item. So it's something that we're gonna you know have to negotiate. Okay. Uh, any other kind of myths that you think we we missed? Uh, I think we covered a lot of them. I just think it's really important that people look to the sources, right? It's not something that you're just getting off of a Facebook page or, you know, something that, that someone said, it's always important to look at the resource and where it's coming from and maybe what that agenda is. I'm, I'm really based on factual information. I, I want to look at the sources. I want to make sure that they are the right sources. I think that's also exciting that we have, People at our at CTA who can can do that research for us and get us factual information. I think that's a benefit that that maybe you know in our little Clovis bubble we don't we're not privy to some of that information. As as much as they say they're transparent, a lot of that information is is it's just not given to us. And so I think it's important that people listen and do their do their due diligence. Yeah. And it's like really complicated stuff, right? Understanding kind of a compensation package, right. And all the different right. funds and all, you know, what's the reserve and all this stuff. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're educators, we're classroom teachers or we're psychologists. We have like full-time jobs and no part of our full-time job is to like understand, you know, this stuff. So, you know, kind of looking to people whose job it is, right, to kind of- Right, the experts. Yeah, the experts is important. Um, And I think maybe one last thing um, before we get to building, you know, real quick, building an effective and principled organization. Um, There are things out there that are really great, right, about Clovis Unify, right? Performing arts. You know, we have a good benefits package. We have this My Care Center that that people uh, really seem to like. Um, would yeah. uni- would unionizing threaten any of those things? Uh, no, absolutely not, and not unless that was a concern that teachers brought forth. Uh, that's what unionizing unionizing is about, right? Is what are what are all our stakeholders interested in um, prioritizing? 
And I don't know anybody in our district would say down with the my care center, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. who would we, we love it. Why would we want to like write in our contract, get rid of it. I don't even think that's something you would put in a contract, right? right. It's, right. it's silly that they would say something like that. Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, you know, based on kind of how everybody feels about that, that would be a kind of priority to keep that. And sure. you know, the, the contract that was negotiated would ensure that 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 kind of that system that we've developed is stays robust and you know stays kind of you know how how you know the ways in which people appreciate it right now. So I mean I think that's a nice segue. So how do we you know kind of build this effective and principled organization? You know I'm I think Jason just you and I had never even known each other right until mm-hmm. we we started this process together. And I think it's about making sure we elect the right people. I have come to know so many new people across the district that I admire, I respect. I, I, you know, I'm fascinated by their brain and how they process things. And, uh, and I think that it's important that they have those, you know, Clovis values. We want strong leadership. And I feel like the people who are involved right now are are great people, and I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, the right people's key, right people that love their jobs, and I right. think that describes you know every single one of us that's uh, kind of on this leadership team. We sure. kind of love what we do, um, so kind of getting those uh, and a, like leadership eventually when we kind of elect the executive board or whatever it ends up being called. Um, doesn't have to come from the people that are doing this work, but it's important, right? That they are sure. good people. They're ro- rooted in kind of our values as a system. Um, that's key, right? Any, what else? Um, I think it's, you know, that democratic process, you know, we mentioned earlier that the executive board um, doesn't get to be elected by all teachers. And I think, What's great about our union was that it will include and and educators too, right? We've got our psychs and our counselors and everyone in the in the in the field of education. We all get to be a part of that democratic process, which I think, unfortunately, right now, faculty senate has left out. Also, the fact that our faculty that our president for the union will be a teacher who is um, paid for by our union dues, right? So working for the teachers as a leader of those teachers. Um, instead of someone who works at the DO in one of their offices working for the DO being paid by the, by the district. I think that that's a pretty, you know, significant component there. Don't you think? No, I totally uh, think that that's really important. Right. And that, and that doesn't mean that, um, you know, kind of whatever educator, right. Becomes, uh, the president and vice president make makes up the kind of uh, executive board of the union that they're kind of automatically oppositional to um, to the district administration. But it is like I think it's uh, true that it's a different relationship, right? When you are not, you know, kind of working for the person, right? That you have to have difficult conversations with. You know, that kind of changes the ways in which that conversation works. So. Um, I think, right, the way we build a, a principle, a principled, effective organization, get the right people involved, have those people uh, kind of elected through a democratic process, and then create, as you said, this representative organization that represents all these different kind of folks from across the district. Um, and then 
we engage in kind of the democratic work of, you know, figuring out what do people want, right? Yeah. Yes. What are our priorities as a, as a membership? Right. Absolutely. Okay. So Ferd, you know, we, we sign um, it to, to get this passed, we sign a, a petition. So why are you signing the union support petition? Oh gosh, um, how much time do you have, Jason? <laughs> you know, maybe you can narrow it down to one. Yeah, right. Um, well, I, you know, I, I, I just as far as signing that petition, I do want to start off by it's it's strange that there's this fear factor in our district, and I think that alone speaks volumes that there's something that we need to to work on. But I'm really signing it because I want to make a positive difference, right? A positive difference for myself, my colleagues my students, um, you know, the people who are involved in this, we have a real passion for teaching. And, and that's the forefront of the decisions that we're gonna be making. And I've tried to make a difference, um, you know, in the last few years, working through Faculty Senate, working with district administration. And I, I didn't feel like uh, that progress was being effective enough, right? I, I couldn't, I couldn't, break through that wall really. Um, and I think that, um, the biggest frustration maybe is that decisions are being made for us and not with us. So I'm really hoping to have a seat at that bargaining table. I'm willing to advocate for those, you know, unheard voices. And I know that I'm always, always going to do what's best for my students and my colleagues because we're all on that same team. Right. And, and we're the ones that are in the trenches. We're the ones that are doing that hard work and we're, we're the ones who know our kids the best. We have the experience. And I just don't feel like that's that's being tapped into enough. And I think that we need to be a part of that decision-making process. And I'm excited to make that happen. Awesome. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Jason. It's been great. Every week, uh, we want to end by celebrating and honoring the students we serve. So, Melissa... You know, tell us a story about uh, serving the, the young people at Clovis North. Wow, um, that's hard. You know, after 30 years, there are a lot of young people who have crossed my path between my coaching capacity and my teaching capacity. But I think it really goes back to being that 7 through 12 uh, teacher, you know, where I get to rush over to uh, the sixth graders and get them fired up for Bronco volleyball and I help them with tryouts and I see them at the junior high and the kids are like, Hey, I know you, you know, and then they come into my classroom as a freshman, uh, taking English, uh, my English class. And that's where I really get to know them. You know, like you're an English teacher, you know, through their writing and you get to see them mature in their, in their thinking process. Uh, and then I coach at the high school level, you know, I drive them on their road trips. I have clubs that I, um, work with. Uh, I get to edit college essays, right? I love having kids who are my freshmen. I said, once you're my kid, you're always my kid. So when they come back to me, they're, they're junior years and they want that letter of rec and they, they're looking for guidance, uh, what to do for colleges and get, get some um, of their college essays to edit and make those top notch. And then, you know, when we get to go to that top 20 dinner, you know, as a teacher representative, that that's uh, really special to me. So I always tell my kids, you know, you're, you're my kid from, you know, the time I, the first time I meet you till, you know, forever. So there are a lot of kids that I'm still 
connected to beyond their college years. I have a lot of former students who are now working with me at North and even former students that are admin in the district. Um, but I just, I love that opportunity to, to, to get close to them over uh, that, that, that year, you know, from all the way from seven through 12 and beyond. I think that's the biggest bonus of, of the role that we have as teachers and it, and it really does warm my heart to, to have that opportunity. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks again. Thank you. Columbus educators and all of you out there that have tuned in, we thank you for joining us in the conversation. To engage further, you can find us at www.cloviseducators.org and at our Instagram handle at Clovis Educators. Remember, there is nothing wrong about having this conversation. You cannot legally be punished for participating, asking questions, listening to this podcast, attending a meeting, and ultimately, if you choose to, signing the union support petition. These are your legally protected rights. We are ACE, we love Clovis Unified, and we will see you next time on the ACE Podcast.